Welcome to the latest episode of Professional Builders Podcast. I'm your host and Professional Builder Editor, Lee Jones. The December edition of Professional Builder is available at the trade counter of your local builders merchant. As a digital flipbook version at www.probuildermag.co.uk, where you can also sign up to receive every issue via email. Professional Builder is your essential guide to all the latest industry ideas and innovations. The December edition also includes our top product awards, our annual industry accolade that showcases the solutions that have made your life easier and more profitable on site. This month's episode is all about women in the trades, and PB's Edward Kelly is talking to Micah May, Director of Development at the Stopcocks Group, a national organisation of women plumbers. But before I introduce you to Ed and Micah, let's hear from a few women in the industry and listen to what they like about being in the trades. To me, being a plumber is freedom. I'm my own boss. The job itself can be extremely rewarding. I love being able to help fix a problem using tools in my brain and provide a service my returning customers can trust. I'm not an office type person, so this suits me right down to the ground and it also helps me keep fit, albeit with some grazed knuckles. The best thing about being a plumber has got to be job satisfaction. It's getting something to work that doesn't work, even if it does take you hours. The worst thing about being a plumber is having no nails and rough hands. We'd love to hear your thoughts on female participation in the industry. We want builders to be heard. So just pick up your phone, open up voice memo and say what you think. Afterwards, send it to pb at hamerville.co.uk. It'll be great to hear your thoughts. Over to you, Ed. Thanks for the introduction, Lee. It's thought that just 5-6% to 6% of tradespeople are women. With the construction sector in the midst of a skills gap crisis, I'll be talking to Micah about why more tradeswomen could help the industry and how Stopcox is supporting female plumbers across the country. Stopcox started in 1990 when Hattie Hassan switched from being an infant school teacher to being a plumber. It seems like a sort of a strange change. Going back even a little bit further, at the age of three, she was already known to the local police because she kept running away from home. And she's always had a strong desire for independence. As a nursery school teacher, she had her own little kingdom of toddlers that she was personally in charge of but then when the national curriculum came in that was extremely she found she couldn't teach anymore she had to be ticking boxes and doing admin so she went back to what she'd always enjoyed doing since being very young and that was fixing things She'd wanted to be a heart surgeon, but she was squeamish. And then she thought, well, boilers are like hearts, so I'd better change and train to be a plumber. So that's what she did, plumber and heating engineer. That was in London, where she was the only woman in the college. And then she moved up to Leeds and went to Leeds College of Building, which I'm sure you know is the only dedicated college of building in the country. At that time, she was the first female trainee they'd ever had. There were no toilets for women trainees. She had to use the staff toilets. And we actually hear that that's still something that happens to women in construction college. They have to go to other parts of the colleges or use the staff toilets. So that's the first inkling, really, she had of... She didn't assume she wasn't doing it for any kind of reason other than that she'd always enjoyed fixing things. And she found that really rewarding. And she'd done bits and bobs of DIY support for people that had paid her for things and they'd liked it. So 
she just thought, right, I'll do this thing which is interesting to me. So when she went through the training course and she did really well, but when she started looking for places where she could work and get her first job, people were asking her if it was for her son or her husband. And as soon as she said it was for her, they said there was no vacancies. And again, that's something that we still hear happening. She was not a young person looking for an apprenticeship. She'd had a job. She had a house that she was solely responsible for. And, and luckily for her, unlike some of the women, other women who do this, she didn't have any children she was responsible for. But she did have bills to pay and she thought, well, I've got to do something. And I think at that point, a lot of women go back to what they've been doing before if they can't actually get any work. But Hattie really didn't feel like that was something she could do. So she thought, right then, well, I'll employ myself and I'll day release myself into college. And that's what she did. She started with mentoring from one of the guys on the course. She had a couple of guys who were in their mid-30s, like she was, on the course. They were both ex-cons also on day release. And they were her closer friends. And they all were just a little, there was a little threesome of them. And none of them could get jobs. <laughs> but Hattie was able to do work herself on her own to people in her local community. and immediately she found that she was very popular. There was a city magazine in Leeds that she couldn't afford an advert in. So she went into the office and said, is there any plumbing you want? And will you swap it for an ad? And they said, well, funnily enough, yes. And so that's how she started. And she bought a second, secondhand tools off the market, secondhand answering machine that uh, used to have a red flashing light. And um, she sat and waited it for it to ring and it rang and it just never stopped ringing. She went along, she noticed that the householders that she'd done work for were extremely appreciative of the work that she'd done in their homes and extremely appreciative of her approach to them in their homes. And they just said, it's fantastic that I'm not being told what I should have. It's amazing to be asked what it is that I want. And if what I want isn't realistic or practical, have solutions offered and explanations given of why it may not actually work, either in that house or within their budget. I mean, they were amazed that she cleaned up after herself. I mean, I know that there's loads of guys who do all of these things, but there are also loads of people out there in this world that aren't doing those things and customers do appreciate them. And it's part of why she was so busy. After about 17 years doing plumbing, she realised she'd never met another woman plumber. She thought, I've got to do something about that. And it was the birth of the internet. So she started herself a website and other women who were plumbers or women who wanted to be plumbers started contacting her. And she started dashing up and down the country trying to meet them. But then she was just spending all her time dashing up and down the country. But funnily enough, hardly anybody else who were women working in the industry they hadn't met any other women doing it either. So that's when she started thinking, well, probably part of the reason there are so few of us is because there are so few of us. Because if you never see anybody like you doing something, then it doesn't make you feel like you can do things. And with all of society saying women don't do things that mess up their nails, and worse, of course, you have to be a very determined type of person to be able to continue on. 
doing those sorts of things. So as well as meeting other women, she started looking at ways to enable other women to come into the industry. And I think plumbing and heating was probably very similar to other areas within the building maintenance and construction industries. And there is still very few women. And she, she started schemes to help women set up in business. She didn't want to employ people. So she wanted to help other women get into doing this kind of work. This was the way that had worked for her. So it was the way that she went to be able to help other women, assuming that they would be similar to her. Some of them are, some of them aren't. Now, the main thing that has caused people to have more awareness of what it is that we've been doing, I started working with her. I've done community development work. I started doing work with her part-time initially around about 2014 and then built up gradually. The main thing that I think I've noticed over the years is that a lot of women do enter the construction and maintenance industries because they are wanting to feel a greater level of independence and it makes you feel big and strong to be able to deal with big tools. And it also makes you feel like you're actually achieving something. And so many of the jobs that women are channeled into, they're a little cog in a big machine and they never see the end of something that they're doing. And I think the sense of achievement of actually completing something is something that we're all missing out on in this world, but the kinds of jobs that women end up doing are very much the ones where you don't get to stand back and think, yeah, I did that. It's empowering, yeah. It's very empowering. And I think that women want this. And in fact, when we contact women, and now um, Hattie does quite a lot of DIY training to ordinary women. She's doing training in supporting all kinds of different women. There's, she's got courses that are in groups that people can just join to learn about DIY. And she's also delivering specific training to survivors of abuse who, of course, want to be able to feel control in their own homes because if they've been abused in their own home, then it's particularly important to feel like they've got ownership of that place where it is that they live and they don't need to ask somebody else to fix it, especially a stranger. All those women are so keen once they've got the opportunity to have tools in their hands. It's absolutely gobsmacking and it's fantastic. Hattie did some training recently in a project where they've been working for 20 odd longer years with women survivors of abuse. And they said, we have never seen the women glowing in the way that they have been doing, doing this stuff. And there are women within that group who have already made a decision that they want to go on and do something with their lives using skilled trades as their route into being able to have a better lifestyle for themselves and their kids. Just after a short, um, it was, well, short, it was eight weeks, but it was um, one day a week training course. And this is the kind of reason why Hattie wanted to be able to promote the fact that women can do this work. And there are also loads of women working within building firms and construction industry. They're much more difficult to find. The ones who are self-employed, you can say, oh, that's a woman's name. That's probably a woman. But if people are within a company, they are much more difficult to find. 
then when we started running the events, that brought a lot of attention to what it is that we're doing. And um, Hattie got an MBA as part of, I'm sure it was related to the fact that she was doing this work to overcome isolation of women in trades and empowering women through doing skilled trades. Those places are where we're sort of looking. We're a tiny, tiny company with not very many resources and there's masses to do. But one thing that we can do is shine a light on. In general, I don't think in the world this industry is one that people shine a light on as being a good thing. The eco side of it, people say, well, that's a good thing. But nobody is being, and the, you know, the roots into it are not clear. And um, householders in general don't see people who are doing building construction and maintenance as being anything other than scoundrels, you know, and the, the telly doesn't help with that. But what we are really finding is now as well is a time where because of the eco interest in building things more sustainably, there is an opportunity to use that to change the perspective of households, I think, onto the industry, but also by having a more diverse workforce, I think, that would also change the the attitude of the world in general and just make people realise that this is this is not just, you know, every time you see a picture of a plumber, it's a cartoon and he's got his trousers hanging down and he's fat and he's stupid and that's not good for anybody in the industry. Make sure you've got 29th of Feb and 1st of March 2024 in your diary because Tall Fair and Professional Build Alive is back with our first show of the year at Alexandra Palace in London. Check out all the dates for the trade show that puts tradespeople at its heart at tallfair.info. There's great show deals from some of the biggest brands, live demonstrations and seminars. If that's not enough, then parking and entry is free and you'll get a free bacon roll and Professional Builder t-shirt into the bar. It's almost like people don't know that those are doors they can open, right? And, and if they're never shown, like you said, if you never see female tradespeople or you know people of colour as tradespeople, then you don't you don't necessarily think of that as an option, maybe. And it's 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 a very difficult industry to get into. So I think that's brilliant. You touched obviously on on sustainability as well. I looked on your website and I saw there was some some bits about you know CPD, you know development and stuff like that. So is that something you're focusing on as well, you know, in terms of heat pumps and renewables and a future home standard? Are you trying to sort of give that a bit of a push or? We are really, really interested in it, but it's a huge issue that we feel very inexpert to promote. And at one point, there was a big organisation who was saying to us, can we get a whole teams of women installing heat pumps. There are houses that are insulated and ready and there are not the people to do that. And can we get your women engineers to do that? And we looked and we found that they were not enough. And the, the women heating engineers, the gas safe don't actually have a number of them. There's an extrapolated number that's something like, uh, I think, 5,000. Well, over the whole country, that's a tiny, tiny number. And they're all really busy doing their ordinary work. They don't have the time to train. But to install, for people who are not already trained, when we looked into it, that particular company wouldn't only have needed them to be qualified to install heat pumps. They would have needed three years of experience installing heat pumps for them to be able to 
do the work in those properties and they needed it done sooner, but they can't have it done sooner because there isn't the workforce to do it. And there's that stumbling chicken and egg thing happening. But from our perspective, we are not big enough to change that dynamic. Something at the level where people look at how training is delivered and monitored and evaluated and how people are given the competence on top of the training that means that they can actually go out and do the work that desperately as a country we need doing with turning over to more sustainable methods of all the building, but especially heating, I think. That needs to be addressed at an educational and governmental level and people are not paying attention to us. There is a massively growing interest we're seeing in installers and women are really interested in installing sustainable systems. But there is assistance to get money for the training itself. But when you're looking at a workforce, it's already overstretched because there aren't enough of them because the skills gap. People are do- If people are doing 12-hour days to meet the demand from their customers, where are they going to fit training in? And how are they going, if that's what they feel economically they need to do, how can they afford to take the time out from those 12-hour days, even if they were able to manage their diary and not let customers down, who would probably be ringing them up with emergencies at the end of the training day? how, how How is it supposed to work? I mean, from the maintenance side, the vast majority of people are either sole traders or tiny little companies with about three people. There isn't the wriggle room in companies to allow for that or any kind of training. And I think that impacts on the whole apprenticeship problem is that when you're tiny, you don't have time to be able to look after and train somebody who doesn't actually know their way around because however good the quality of the training somebody receives in the college, it is so, so different than any kind I mean, retrofit, especially is every house that you go into that's over 20 years old has had stuff done. And it will have been different from every other house in that street unless it was all done by the same person. And so there's so much that is different that people have to be constantly dealing with on a daily basis. It doesn't leave headspace to be able to take on new training. So then when you've got women as well, who are also probably running a household, doing the school run, coming home if the children are sick, all that extra load that women tend to do. It's just how is that supposed to be being done? We want something, somebody big to take this on, and but nobody's listening. No. We have people from... Um, the governmental department of the environment came to our last event in the summer, but they are producing documents and programs and training funding around training, but they are not in the industry to see what the problems are and what people actually need. And there's a big mismatch, I think. I think that's probably what it is. Yeah, you need the practical solutions, not 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 just the the, the outside influence looking in. They need to actually practically look at you know how how that can be done. Um, you touched on another few things there as well. So, so obviously you talked about events. Do you, do you want to tell us a bit about those? How many have you got a year? And, and uh, I noticed that there's, you're doing more now, aren't you? Is it? Well, we started running events in 2017. We sent out a load of press releases and a whole bunch of companies who were in the industry, plumbing industry at the time, was all that we were 
doing anything about. Um, they came to us and said, we realise that there is an issue about women in the industry and we'd like to do something to encourage more women to come into the industry. And maybe we could do pamper days or something like that. And we thought, well, that's all well and good, but maybe there's something that's more sustainable that can be done with the energy and effort and money that you would spend on pamper days. And because there were several different companies all approaching us, Hattie just was driving along one day and she had the idea of running an event using the money that people would have spent on those pamper days. So we ran the first one and we really didn't know whether anybody was going to come. And we were in a hotel around the corner from the venue and an hour before we were supposed to be there to help people with the setup. The venue rang us and said, there's a queue around the block, you better get here. So we thought from that it was going to be successful. We did them every year. And um, installer, we did one with installer as people started um, coming out of lockdown. They gave us a room and we did a small event. And then we've gone back to running our own independent events in London and they're every July, the first week in July. During the last year, we've increased to having people from other trades join us. And there was already starting to be electricians and then women from other trades. But as well, during lockdown, there have been more Facebook groups starting as ways of connecting. And especially there are some groups for women in trades, different individual trades and also ones that go across trade and include women in construction. And people, women around the country were saying, I can't get to London for a whole million bunch of reasons, work, pressure of work being one of them. So we looked at the possibility and we will be running our very first event in Manchester on the 22nd of February. We want to keep it fairly small. We want to really test the water and make sure that it will be successful and it's going to be whereas the event in London it's a whole day and there's food and we have a professional speaker this is focusing on the bit that the women say they get the most out of which is about meeting one another and so it's essentially it's an afternoon of the women tradeswomen who are coming actually some are coming from Bristol they're not only from the north and there's somebody at least a couple coming from Scotland um, one of whom has been coming to the London event as well. But yeah, the Manchester event, we're hoping it's going to be the first of lots of regional events that are shorter time, shorter distance traveling, different kind of commitment to enable other more different kinds of tradeswomen to come. And there's, we've, we've got a digger lady, we've got some builders, we're hoping that some women mechanics are going to come because they're in the same position. And there's, quite a lot of plumbers, engineers, painters and decorators, um, bricklayers. There's, there's a whole variety of different women coming already, but there are some tickets available and people can email me. And what's that email address that they can do it to? The best email addresses to use is mica, that's M-I-C-A, at stopcox.uk. Who are the sponsors for, for this Manchester one then? Who are the, who are the two that you've got? We have Grunfoss Pumps and Axo Nobel, who um, make all sorts of stuff, but particularly their Dulux, yeah. So we're, we're looking for somebody who, and somebody to do with clothing or somebody else that does something that goes across all of the different trades that um, we're going to have coming along to the event, maybe who can do something that's for everybody there. 
one one of the things um you touched on was that idea of having a kind of group and a connectivity to it, being able to actually talk to each other. That's something we write quite a lot about in, in our magazine. Actually, is the idea that it's it's quite a lonely profession sometimes to be to be a tradesperson because essentially everyone else is technically your competition, right? And and it's something that we're trying to. I know a lot of companies like yourselves obviously are trying to encourage that idea of it's actually quite nice to talk to each other. And I think I spoke to one of your plumbers at um, an event I went to actually, and, and, and she mentioned that it's great. They've got a little WhatsApp chat type thing and they all sort of talk to each other. I imagine that's a really beneficial thing is, is being able to, you know, mental health wise, even when you're feeling a bit overwhelmed, this is probably quite nice to know someone's in the same boat as you and that you can kind of help each other out in a sense. Yeah, I think the mental health issues that the industry faces are very much connected to how lonely it can be doing this work. And I think especially for self-employed people, but I think not only for self-employed people, when you're in a business, a lot of people are off somewhere doing their own thing on their own all day. And then they drive home alone and they're tired out when they get home and they're not therefore able to even do the sort of socializing locally that they might just do for somebody who sits at a computer all day long has got a different kind of energy left at the end of the day yeah no that's very true what would you say obviously we've talked about the idea of not really knowing it's an option is one big barrier for female tradeswomen to actually know that or, or, or women in general to know that they can become a tradesperson what would you say are the other biggest barriers and what can be done about it maybe I still want to come back to the not knowing it's an option because one of the things that we also even encounter is from boys as well as girls is that if they go along at school and say, I'm interested in going into skilled trades, if they're clever, the careers advisors say to them, you're too good for this. And they they are steered away from it actively. So the small number of people who are considering that they might want to come into this industry and being told, no, you can't or no, you shouldn't. And and then a lot of them do come back to it at an older age, although not so many. But it is so much more difficult to get into. The routes to train are so channeled towards working within the apprenticeship system, which is to do with working with young people. And if people, when they're young, are being turned away from it and not coming into it until they're older, and then you look on the internet and the only companies who you you can see saying, yes, we can help you with training to do this, either they're channeling you into an apprenticeship route or it really looks like they're rip-off merchants. Not all of them are. Many of them aren't. There was a really bad period about 10 years ago when there were a lot of companies who would take your money and run, literally in this industry, and especially with plumbing and, and electrics. I'm not certain about other other parts of the trades. But um, I think the routes into training need to be clearer. But the training itself, like I was saying earlier, when you're learning something practical, it's really important to learn it in a workshop, but it's also even more important to be able to properly embed that competence by working out in the real world just like you pass your driving test but do you actually know how to drive yet and yet you will have been driving on the road for quite a lot of that time of learning how to drive and it's that mismatch again and it's to do with 
there not being anything built into the way that we deliver these services to provide the opportunity for support and training. Everything for such a long time, people look at construction, maintenance, building, and they are looking for getting it cheap. Builders are building things cheaply. Householders will get three quotes. They probably go for the middle one. But if it's actually in the middle of the three, then they'll push that person to deliver it for cheaper. And householders are always saying, how can you do it cheaper? I can't afford that. And thinking that it's going to somehow give them still the same quality when they're not actually allowing somebody to spend time to do a job properly. So there's there's so many different ways that the industry is being undermined and undermining itself. But as an industry, we don't stand together and say, and because we don't meet and we see each other as competition, which is mad when there's so much more work than there are people to do it. But only when we meet and see each other and talk to each other, we recognize we're not competition. And then there is the opportunity, you know, that it hasn't occurred yet for the industry to be saying, no, we need to be deserved, recognized for what it is that we do. Because if we don't have houses that are fit for purpose, we've got sick people living in the dump. We've got spending so much more money than we need to do. It's not sustainable. It's not you know, environmentally, it's an absolute nightmare. And now is a good time, as good a time as any to, you know, we, there's a lot of things coming together at the moment with loads of people left the industry over lockdown and haven't come back. You know, it's, we, we're teetering, we're over the brink of the skills gap. Is the average age something like 59? Yeah, it is really high. And it's like, it's like you said, is it's, you know, we've got, we've got a future home standard coming up. We've got housing shortages. We've got all stuff like that that needs to be hit. And, and, and you know, like you said, there's much more work than there is people. And, um, yeah, something about that needs to change. And people are the important resource, and yet they're not being paid. They're not, and they're not being prioritised, no. Yeah. And how can we expect that to work? Thanks to Mike and May for speaking to us. I hope you've enjoyed this month's episode. For more from us, pick up a free copy of Professional Builder magazine from your Merchant Trade Council. Thank you for listening. Thank you.